Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. On today's podcast, we go deep with a multi-layered individual, my buddy Pip Hancox. He's also a member of DBK, and you may know him as English Pip or Pip, the lead singer for the psychobilly band called Guana Bats. Pip's been living in the U.S. for quite a few years, born and raised in England, moved out here to live that California lifestyle. You may be more familiar with his 1969 square back. That was kind of a mustard green color with airbag front suspension and your standard issue Porsche alloys. That was the first car he had. Then he rolled into his 49 split, which was the black split with the supercharger motor and the gold Urcos that I'm sure you can remember, and it still had cable brakes. Then off to his mustard split, which was the 52. Into some of the details about those cars, as well as why he came out here to the States, in addition to what it's like being in a psychobilly band that's been together since the early 80s. So we get into a lot of that different stuff. It's a good podcast. He's a great guy. Make sure you guys give him a follow on his Instagram, at Pip Hancocks, if you don't already follow him. First, a word from our sponsors. Guess who's back? VW Trends Magazine, that's who. Bringing back the fun in magazines. A true cross-culture of the VW hobby. VW Trends was always willing to step outside and bring you the latest trend in the VW scene. And you could be a part of this historic relaunch. How, you ask? Well, go to VWTrendsMagazine.com and there are several different ways that you can help relaunch this magazine. That's right. This is a grassroots effort put on by the VW community itself, relaunching one of those fun magazines that was bringing the culture to the market. They've got subscription packages all the way from $1.99 in the Founders Club all the way to donate five bucks just to do your part to help get this back on the scene. This magazine for the people's car is for the people and it's by the people. So now you guys can be a part of history and contribute to help get this magazine relaunched. First issue's coming out shortly, so stand by to get more details on that. But for now, go to VWTrendsMagazine.com and support the relaunch of VW Trends Magazine. Are you looking to get some disc brakes on your bus on the down low? How about a narrowed beam? What about converting your bus to IRS? Well, let me tell you what. The boys over at Type E Motorsports got your number. They've got a disc brake kit that allows you to go buy off-the-shelf factory available parts at any local auto parts place and adapt disc brakes and wide five to the front of your bus. For only 500 bucks, you can pick up that kit that takes your 63 to 67 bus and converts it to discs in the front with ready-to-go off-the-shelf parts that you purchase at your local auto parts place. How about a narrowed beam? A U.S.-made narrowed 4-inch link pin beam, 215 bucks. Or to do IRS, 950 bucks for a complete easy bolt-in IRS kit. He also does full bus beams end-to-end, rotor-to-rotor for three grand turnkey. So if you guys want to get some of your stuff decked out on your bus or your bug, go check out Type E Motorsports. Now, Brian's been on the podcast before, so you can check him out in episode number 105. Check him out at type-emotorsports.com. They've got a lot of suspension parts available, all U.S. made and ready to go. So hit them up at typeemotorsports.com. Don't forget to support those people that support you for podcast now a couple shout outs this week first we'll start off with a supporter thomas slider out of laramie wyoming picked up some merch shirt and a sticker pack so give him a shout out thanks for listening as well as some shout outs for our five-star reviews on apple Podcasts. so if you want to leave a five-star review get a shot on the podcast the first one's from t king 530 he says listening back to back awesome stuff i've had i've had a dilapidated 69 fasty for almost 10 years now it's the first car i ever bought and never driven it lugged it around for three states stored it in at least three storage units but now it's garaged at home time money knowledge ratio hasn't worked out in my favor over all the years and the tides are 
slowly turning. Listening to the show is amazing. Uh, the amazing stories and tech info has seriously motivated me to get to work. Keep up the good work. And then Ralph1952 says, awesome. The pod, This podcast is awesome. It's super informative and just plain fun to listen to. Anyone into VWs needs to listen. I really enjoy it. Thanks, Bill. We need you. Ralph Tolley. And then, fresh new uh, five-star one tonight. Finally, a VW podcast. Bill, great job with the podcast. Love all the info you're bringing to the table. Best way to get VW fixed. And that's Rockadub65 at Instagram. I appreciate you guys. If you want a shot on the podcast, make sure you go put a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or pick up some merch to get a shot out. Uh, without any further ado, guys, we're going to get into it this week with Pip Hancocks, a.k.a. English Pip, on Let's Talk Dubs. <music> So on today's show, I've got a buddy of mine that we we have me the same car club, but this guy's known to you guys out there in the VW world. He's had a few stunner cars that have been out there on the scene. So on today's podcast, I've got Pip Hancocks out of Murrieta, California, by way of London, England. Pip, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers, for sure. <laughs> I wanted to get you on the podcast. I actually, I had a, one, of, one of my listeners, Ryan Corno, hit me up, and he said, hey, man, you should get Pip on the podcast. I said, yeah, I'm planning on it. I got a long list of people. We've been talking for a little bit, so you and I have been kind of playing, playing catch-up to get you on the podcast, and I'm glad we got you on here. You sure you didn't mean the other Pip? No, that guy's already been <laughs> on the podcast. No, we always start the podcast with how you got into Volkswagens. What's your VW story? All right, well, it, uh, being as old as I am, it goes back quite a ways. Um, probably, let me see, I would have been probably 19, so I didn't have a driver's license yet. So in England, um, here you get a driver's license immediately, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing you've got to do in England, especially London area, the, the public transport system is really good. So um, driver's license for me wasn't really a, um, a, a necessity at the time, uh, but I did... I found through uh, Richie King, who some of you English listeners would know who that is. Um, he basically had a 56 Oval that was local to him that was up for sale. So I basically went and bought it, uh, trailered it home. It didn't have a motor, if I recall. Um, I took it to a friend of mine's, got it, got it painted white and started messing with the suspension. I, I basically... My whole background is bicycles and motorcycles. So I, this was my first car. I really didn't know much about cars. Um, I wasn't really a car guy. My brother, Russ Hancocks, was like fully engrossed in cars. And he was kind of the guy that introduced me to Volkswagens. Um, so also Lee Maynard was a friend of ours. Um, he would come over and start bringing American Volkswagen magazines over and a video. So kind of got me fired up on the whole thing. Um, and I found this oval, dragged it home, so got it painted. And uh, that was about as far as it got. I did kind of screw around with suspension a little bit, but never got a motor for it to my recollection. Never did anything else. I, I sold it. Um, I basically started touring quite heavily by that point with, with my band, which I guess we'll get to later. But, um, but so really, the 
the necessity for a car became even less. I was never home. Um, so I did get rid of it. Uh, my, I, I then somewhere over the next year or two, I did acquire a driver's license. I don't know if it was a real one or not, but I did end up with a driver's license. And uh, my first car was actually a convertible Carmen gear. So I was definitely drawn straight back to the Volkswagens as soon as I decided, uh, you know, I, I wanted a car. And I, I'd started making some pretty good money by then. So I was like, okay, I'm going to find this gear. So I found a gear. Um, it was completely stock. And I basically lowered it, put MP8s on, which were about as good as it got for a four-bolt car back then. Um, so I think it was a 69, if I remember, uh, so, and just ran that around for a couple of summers. And, uh, that was, that was kind of the beginning of it. I, after that, I went, got a square back then, uh, probably, <laughs> probably the funniest recollection I have about Volkswagen, my brother went on vacation. I actually lived with my brother at the time we shared a house. He went on vacation uh, for a couple of weeks and he lent me his fastback. I was in between cars and he lent me his fastback to drive. And by the time he got back from vacation, I had taken a, a, a die cutter and basically cut the roof off and turned it into a convertible. So, uh, yeah, he wasn't oh, wow. particularly stoked about that. Yeah, it was just... So he's like, okay, you owe me money for that car, bitch. That, it's now your car. Yeah, that's so, a bold move. Did you just take a grinder your brother's car, huh? Yeah, exactly. I, it was, the sun was out. I was like, I don't even have a sunroof in this thing. I need to get rid of the roof. So I think it was probably like a week after I had realized that you don't need a roof on a Volkswagen. Like, they're not going to fall apart if you cut it off. So I went for it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's awesome. You know, and, and, and we're going to get into that because you're also, what I did mention earlier, is you're also, you're also the, the singer for the front man for the band Guana Bats, which is a, a band that you've been in. I mean, the, the Guana Bats have been around for quite a while. And for those that don't know, it's it, it would be classified under, like, Psychobilly, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a mix of punk and rockabilly. Uh, next year will be 40 years that we've been together. So crazy, crazy story. Yeah, if you want any of that story, I'll give it to you. But yeah, it's been a... Music always there? Music and cars? Because I mean, music and cars kind of go together. I mean, it's, it's a real symbiotic relationship, I think. Yeah, so I basically, <clears throat> from, from probably 12, 11, 12 years on, <clears throat> uh, I... I, I discovered a love for like rockabilly rock and roll you know elvis gene vincent Eddie cochran which my mum had kind of passed down some of her vinyl to me and right about that same time i got in i started racing motocross um i was always into bicycles building jumps anything on two wheels um and i had basically tried to convince my parents to get me a motor motorcycle for as long as i can remember probably ever since the evil Knievel toy came out yeah. and they um they said to me okay here's here's the deal after years of me grinding on them here's the deal we will buy you a dirt bike and we will take you racing to race motocross the only two things that we ask is that you never get a tattoo and you never ride a street bike. <laughs> and I, I basically don't even drive a car at this stage. I drive, ride a motorcycle every day and I am absolutely covered in tattoos head to, head to toe. So reverse psychology, mums and dads, yeah, be 
be careful what you tell your kids. So. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't work too well. <laughs> yeah, the, the, so my love for music started around the same time as I started racing motorcycles. Um, I kind of fell into the the band thing. It was uh, I left school in 1980. I was 15. Um, and I basically moved closer to London, where my dad, my dad lived, and I met up with a bunch of derelicts that had, had also been kicked out of school, and and nobody had jobs or anything. We would sit around on on park benches and bus stops, just talking about, uh, yeah, what we were going to do with our lives. And we all decided we should start a band, and not one of us had ever picked up an instrument or uh, anything. <laughs> and, and I basically being the I was a cheap bastard. I knew I didn't want to buy any instruments. So I put my hand up and said, I'll be the singer. So um, and within a year, uh, so yeah, that was 1980. Uh, actually, within two years, because it, it took us about a year to actually start putting something together. Uh, a year after we actually gained instruments and started practicing, um, yeah, a year after that, we had our first record deal and started to tour the world. So crazy story because literally none of us had any talent or ability at the time. We just decided that's what we were going to do. So Now, how did you guys pull that off? Like, I mean, and, and I think some of the history, like the Sex Pistols were like the same thing, right? The Sex Pistols had like... I mean, they were like a, was it Malcolm McLean just like set them up and like yeah. tomorrow they're a band? You know yeah, what I mean? They, yeah, they had no talent either. Yeah, it was a very similar story. <laughs> yeah, just like, I mean, I mean, just got started out of nowhere. Like, hey, let's just, we're, we're these punkers. Let's make, let's be a band and then right. just goes from there. It, it was seriously the weirdest thing because literally everybody, whatever instrument each of us chose, and say there were four of us, um, Stuart, who chose, I'll be the guitarist ended up being an amazing guitarist. Dave on drums, like, ended up being a super creative drummer that I've probably never uh, never had a more creative drummer than him since. And uh, he, it just, he was basically a punk rock kid. He had green spiky hair. The rest of us were rockabillies, like died in the wool, like all we listened to was 50s. So we wanted to put together a rockabilly band. Dave wanted to be in on the action, uh, but he never listened to rockabilly. It wasn't his thing. So all of a sudden we kind of created this sound that because we had a punk drummer kid behind us, uh, it just created this kind of harder sound, you know, than, right. than traditional rockabilly. But it was still kind of melodic. Uh, you know, along the lines of rockabilly, but with kind of a harder beat going on. So, yeah, we really just lucked out that, uh, and who knew I could actually hold a note as well. So all of us kind of, all of us managed to do what we did. But I think just the age we were, you know, 15 to 17, which was when we kind of created the band, we just absorb shit like a sponge, you know. We were, were the the abilities and the skills. We just absorb them just by fully throwing ourselves into it, and uh, yeah, it just worked. You know, it's crazy. So, and, and now when you're talking in the '80s, I don't even think psychobilly was a thing, really. I mean, I, I, I like because there is this this genre like who's it? Tiger, uh, Tiger Army? Uh, are they considered like a, a psychobilly band? And yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, there, there, there's there's this genre of music which is super niche, and so my my question is like, what are your like what when I listen to a couple of your I listen to King Rat right like I listen to that I listen to that song, 
And what's the comes... worst song we ever recorded? I gotta send you better no, stuff. No, no, but no, but you gotta listen. When I hear that song, it remind. I don't know why, and it might be just the, the name rap, but Charge GBH comes to mind for me. <laughs> and like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's this whole uh, definitely English punk vibe that I get out of it. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah, that was. That has always been our, uh, we have never done a show that we haven't played that song and uh, because it's become kind of our anthem and I, I literally hate playing that song. It's the <laughs> worst song to me. I think uh, Stuart, our guitarist, wrote it when he was like 15 and it shows, you know, the lyrics are ridiculous and, but for some reason everyone kind of latched onto that song and that kind of became our thing. Um, but yeah, a Tiger Army came out kind of in the 90s um, and they they basically took it to another level. You know, they had some commercial success. Uh, we were always very kind of underground. We got into the independent charts a lot in the 80s, which back then we actually had some pretty stiff competition. There was like Depeche Mode and the Smiths. And, you know, we would, we would reach number one in the charts, in the independent charts sometimes. But... As far as like the national charts, you know, we, we didn't have a, have a hope, you know, it was, um, uh, but yeah, Tiger Army kind of took it over in the 90s, at least in the US. Right. Um, I think on their first album, they're wearing Guanabats t-shirts, you know, it's like we were the, <laughs> we were the kind of godfathers, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, 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 the grandfathers of the psychobilly movement. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so being in that, right, I, I, you know, it's funny because... There's, I see the parallel with like Volkswagens, right? Volkswagens are really cool, but unless you're in the VW culture, you're kind of not accepted in the rest of the car world. You know what I mean? You're, 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 and, and in the microcosm of Volkswagens, it, it's it's a car that's on parallels with a lot of things. The same as that as the genre music of of psychobilly, which is like. It, it's definitely a, a unique genre music, and if you're into it, you're into it. But right. I mean, I think it, there's there's a lot of parallels with that, and and why well, I want to get a little bit, I'm gonna geek out here music wise a little bit. Who are some of the bands like you guys starting like really a bunch of scrubs that don't know how to play anything, and you guys just kind of mash it together until things start kind of kind of pulling pulling together. Who are some bands that you guys got to maybe, uh, and I don't know if it's by proxy of being in London or, or being in Europe, but like who do you get to connect with? And maybe do you get any opportunities out there when like, even though you guys never got major commercial success, did you ever get to tour alongside of other bands that were really big bands to you, like big idols and stuff? Um, yeah, I, so basically when we, I think a big part of the reason we um, grew so quickly was that the, the Stray Cats had come over in, to, to London in 79 and they basically just exploded. They, they were huge in England. Um, they were an American band, but they actually uh, started in England to gain success because they knew that England had such a strong kind of rockabilly scene. Um, basically, by the time we started doing live shows, the Stray Cats had just split up. They, they kind of ran for two or three years and then they kind of fell apart, moved back to the States. And we kind of took over their following throughout Europe. So that really gave us, like there was now a, a following for Rockabilly uh, that we kind of filled the gap. And because the Stray Cats weren't strictly just traditional Rockabilly, they definitely had kind of a harder edge to them, especially in the early days. 
Um, we kind of fit in with that. Uh, and when they reformed, I think 86 probably, uh, they kind of took a few years off and then they got back together and they started touring Europe. And we basically ended up being like, uh, it was the Stray Cats and Guanabats like double bill, you know, we would go around Europe and play together. So, and then at the end of the night, we would, we, we would all get on stage together and do a song and that kind of thing. So I'd say probably the Stray Cats, as far as a, a household name, would be you know, who we spent the most time around. Uh, we did actually have some pretty good, uh, we, we, our, management, our management in the early 80s had some other bigger names. So we ended up on the bill with them. We ended up on the bill with Bo Diddley went in like 1980. We were brand new young kids and, you know, we're playing with Bo Diddley at the Lyceum in London, which was a huge venue. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, um, yeah, we, we kind of, we ended up on the same bill as quite a few bigger bands at the time. But really, we had our own kind of underground following that just... We actually got on the what they call over there the university tour. So now you're you're going from city to city throughout England and playing universities, and of course it's government money, so you're getting paid five times more than you would for doing a venue. So um, that also kind of boosted us. And right about the same time that we were doing the university circuit, we put out uh, Bruce Springsteen's song "I'm on Fire," which people kind of knew. And it was a little more commercial. It wasn't quite as hard as the rest of our stuff. And that kind of fit in with that crowd. So, again, that boosted us again. And so, um, but, yeah, I, I would say probably the Stray Cats would be the people most familiar with that we spend a lot of time with. So, Well, that's kind of a big deal. They're probably the biggest the biggest rockabilly band that, that ever existed, right? I mean, if- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that that was that was pretty cool, you know, because in '79 I was 14, watching Top of the Pops with Stray Cats doing Runaway Boys. It was like absolutely life changing for me because oh, yeah. it, it wasn't just traditional rockabilly. All of a sudden, these guys with crazy hair and tattoos were doing a spin on on my music, you know. So it was it was cool. No, that's that's rad. I want to I, I, so I want to get into the cars for a little bit. So, yeah. a bit, but we'll we'll get back to the music because I know that the, the you know the, the two are incestually related. So, one of the cars right. that the, one of the first cars that you're known for is the '69 Squareback, and I think it uh, it was it, you, you kind of uh, I don't know if Pip had a little bit of a hand in it at the compound. I know you were working on it there quite a bit, or there was lots of pictures of it there. I remember first time seeing it was there at the barbecue when right. I when I saw you when we met the first time. During your VW hobby, obviously you get busy with music and you're involved with touring and all that stuff. And so cars kind of take a, a little bit of a sidetrack. Yeah. You get back into VWs and the first um, one of the first things that you do, like recently, as of recent, I mean, I know I know you're constantly buying and selling and, and kind of t- keeping your hands dirty with VW oil on them all the time. And before we get into this one, because people are going to go crazy because I'm doing this, but you actually came to Vegas and got a car out here in Vegas. And it, 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 tell me that, tell me that story. Yeah. So, so basically I, I moved out here. I'd, I'd done the VW thing in England for a while. I had gone to, you know, Santa Pod and all the bug, in, bug jams and stuff like that. Um, for quite a few years, I moved out here. I got married, had kids. 
immediately I, I think I bought a 65 Karma gear and I, I ended up just buying all kinds of Volkswagens that were pretty much done or half done and I would tinker with them a bit. Basically, when I was in England, my brother being the car nut, um, he could do a lot more on cars than I could or was willing to do at the time. So uh, once I moved out here, I kind of lost my right-hand man as far as like, you know, electrical or anything like that that I didn't understand. So I kind of always went for stuff that was just already driving and I could just have fun with and screw around, you know, change the wheels or whatever, simple stuff. Um, then in, uh, I, I actually would have no idea what year that would be. It would probably be mid-90s. Uh, I somehow, because I think it was pre, pre before the sample was around, um, I found a, a oval for sale, and um, a guy called Bill Frost in uh, Vegas <laughs> had it for sale. <laughs> oh, Frosty! Uh, I basically, uh, my brother was here actually. Coincidentally, my brother was here at the time, which probably is what motivated me to go get this car. But it was a Polar Silver 57, just a bitching car. Like Bill had built it perfectly. It was uh, basically a show car, you know. Right. And me and my brother, we, we, I had a truck. We rented a trailer. We drove out to Vegas and picked it up. My brother was taking pictures of me sitting in it. And, you know, we were all excited. And, um, and I bought it home and, I think it had stopped with beam and, uh, you know, there was a little clearance issue on the front. So I, I messed around with that to fix that. I think I detailed the fruits. I didn't like the full polish. And so I, I started kind of getting, getting it to how I wanted it to look. Um, I think I kept it for a year or so. I would actually, uh, I live very close to Carlsbad Raceway and it had a, it had a 2007 uh, motor in it and yeah. it ran, ran pretty good. So I, basically would take it to Carlsbad on Saturday mornings. I would drive it there. So I'd basically pull the bumpers off, pull the back seat out, drive it there, take the fan belt off, drag race it all day, put the fan belt back on and drive it home. So uh, that was kind of my Saturday ritual. And I think it ran like high 14s or something. It wasn't super fast, but it was kind of my first introduction to drag racing. And um, that is basically what gave me the uh, why a lot of my cars recently have had no bumpers because that was my favorite memory of, of Volkswagens was doing that going to Carlsbad and drag racing it and obviously I would just take the bumps off to save some weight put them back on when I got home didn't run t-bars or anything so a lot of people are like where's the bumpers where's the t-bars and and so that that's why uh, but yeah, Bill Frost car, I, I'll go off on all kinds of tangents here, but uh, yeah, Bill Frost car, I ended up selling it to a guy in England, Adam Wise. Um, he took it to Volksworld. I think he won best of show. I, I, I think it, it definitely did well. He got a Volksworld magazine feature on it. I think it was on the cover. So it did well. Um, but again, it wasn't my car. Someone else had built it. Uh, so a few years after that, I, I was married when I had that married with kids, I remarried and ended up with a five car garage. So 
here we go. So it was time to get it was time to get serious about this. So basically, I had um, bought a square back that was just uh, linen white, original paint. Um, I lowered it, painted the roof like a perfect black color. The rest of it was kind of patina. Uh, put Fuchs on it, ran it around for six months or so, took it to a show in Irvine, I want to say. I think it's the one where Pip had the half a, half a split submerged in the lake and there was, there was all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and I met a guy, one of the, our DPK members, Dan, yeah. And he had basically, you know, knew me because of the band. And so we, we talked a little bit. Um, and so basically I kept in touch with him. So I decided I was going to do a full-on build with the square back. I was really enjoying driving it. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do my very own full-on build, like body off. Um, so... I kept in contact with Dan Blinko, Blinker, as most people know him, um, and would send him pictures. And, and about towards the end of the build, he kind of said, hey, if you keep building this the way you, it looks like you're going, um, I may be able to get you into DBK. So basically, I knew who DBK was, and, and that was pretty exciting. So that kind of motivated me to take it to the next level. I think I was probably going to do under seal, under the fenders, and I was like, okay, fuck no, I'm painting under the fenders. Like, i gotta, I got to step it up here. So, um, so yeah, just went all out on that. And then, uh, yeah, I actually didn't have any help from Pip. I, I drove it to the compound to, to show it the next day. Um, so we did our Saturday barbecue before yeah. the uh, classic, probably the next day. Um, so, yeah, I had kind of done all of that myself in the garage, and uh, it, it, it turned out pretty cool. I was, I was pretty excited. I kind of wish I still had that car. Um, well, on your Instagram, in all fairness, you do say you, you regret selling one car. Now, and I just and I never put this together until just now I'm cruising. I got to the I, I finished the internet, got to the end of your Instagram, and <laughs> I see a Type 34 with wheels up. Is that yeah. the black Type 34 that used to be at Carl's Bad Drag Racing all the time? Yep, that's Eric Justice's car. So, yeah, so somewhere between. Uh, Adams, uh, sorry, not Adam, well, ended up being Adams, um, but somewhere between the 57, Bill's 57 Oval and uh, me building my square back, uh, Eric Justice had a Type 34 that came up for sale and it had a 2332, had zero rust, like it was completely solid, zero rust, 2332, seven grand. This is obviously going back a couple wow. of years. Yeah, yeah. So I said, I'm on my way out. I'll come check that thing out. So he basically, if anyone knows Eric Justice, I actually saw him the other day. I haven't seen him in a while, but the guy's a character. So I show up at his house. Gary is his dad, Gary Justice, who's very well known in the old school, old school world. Um, he, I show up at his house and he's like, I'm not going to let you drive this thing because you know, I don't know if you know how to drive, but I'll drive it. And you can just stand here at the side of the road and I'll show you what it can do. So he basically went up the street and this is a full like track house, cars everywhere. And just, and he goes up to the end of the street, turns around 
pulls this big ass wheelie all the way down the street in this thing <laughs> just wow. and it's pitch black like the lights are shining up at the sky you know i'm just all right sold i'll take it so i basically drove it home and that thing was bad and, and i ended up selling that to my brother in england and uh i was hoping he'd really keep it because it was such an awesome car um, but I just sold it to him for what I had in it, and and he ended up selling it to some guy in Austria, and it's never been seen since. So, yeah, I don't know, but that was that. I think Eric and I both agree we should have kept that car. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a wild car, man. I mean, it's one. You know, obviously, I'm a big fan of the uh, big fan of the Type 34s myself. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I look at this thing over here in black primer and I think to myself, man, I've got, I've got a, a roller outside. I should just get that dude. And I got a 2332 sitting on the shelf in here. Perfect. You should build a replica. Eric <laughs> justice replica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there thinking, man, that look, it looks good with the wheels up like that. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, now you build the square back, right? So your square back is kind of your uh, initiation card with, with DBK. And one of the things with, and, and just speaking as a guy that was invited into the club, one of the things about that is it kind of says something about your car. You know what I mean? Right. That, right. And, and it's one of those things. And I think I, I can attribute it. One of the examples I always used to go back to in the day was that when you see car clubs like uh, DKP, German folks, uh, DBK, you know, a lot of these clubs, when you hear the name, you just know it's going to be a clean car, you know, and being a part of that DBK finishing the square back, it now makes you go to your next build. Um, and, and then what's this, what, what is the story that ends up with the square back? So give me a quick overview of the build on the square back. Cause it had an air air front end, right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, King Tuck, I can't remember his name, but he ended up with not, not the best reputation, but I'm sure he's got that all figured out by now. But um, yeah, he, he uh, I got talking to him. He talked me into this Airbeam air uh, front end type one conversion basically with air. So that was my first car on air as well. So I, I was definitely breaking some ground here for me as far as new areas. Um, I took it to, so I took it to, to the show, VW Classic. I, I actually got beat out uh, for best square back by one that was painted in Lakers colors with the Lakers logos all over it. So he won first place, I got second. <laughs> Look, you can't, be, you can't beat the People's Choice Awards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, so, uh, he's playing yeah. to the crowd. He's playing to the crowd, buddy. What you, right. What you right. So, yeah, he knew how to do it way better than I did. So, um, so I, I built that car. Um, I, this has kind of become a, a little known thing, but to put, pick a color for cars for me, um, I go to Home Depot or Lowe's over here, which is like a home improvement store. I look up on the wall because they have a whole paint section with literally hundreds of different colors up on the wall to paint your house with or paint your, your, your inside of your house. And I just stare at it for hours like an autistic kid where I just wait until the color hits me. And I basically, I, with the square back, I found that, that green um, on, on the wall at Home Depot and I was like, that's it, that's the color and I still had the perfect black roof so I did the kind of weird green 
kind of color with the black roof. I did a, uh, I was sponsored by Doc Martens at the time, the shoes. Yeah. Um, I think I might still be, but I haven't hit them up lately. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're the size 12, Brussels. Yeah, so I did, uh, <laughs> I want my t-shirts first. Uh, so I um, did the uh, interior oxblood red, which is kind of a Doc Martin color for their shoes. So, um, but yeah, the I remember the the air ride on the front. I basically took it to uh, Air Mighty contacted me about doing a, a feature on it. So Ed Fox, who's a well-known photographer over here, been on the he's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. The bare metal double cab. So, uh, so he basically met me in Corona. We did the shoot on the car. And driving home, he's following me back, and the airbag blows out in the front suspension. And I just scraped <sighs> the shit out of that car on the freeway. And it's dark, and it's cold, and I'm under there. We Basically, Ed and I managed to figure out, we took the airbag out and found a piece of wood at the side of the freeway, which I wedged in place of the airbag and managed to get it home. So, yeah, a little, uh, little rope. But AA trip but showed up and they're like, we can't get this fucking thing on our trailer. It's too low, you know, it was like completely on the ground. So yeah, so we had to improvise. But um, so that car ended up going to Alabama. A friend of mine, Jeff Powell and his dad are big car collectors. Um, he ended up buying the square back. That's how, that's when I first met him. He, he saw my ad for the square back. Uh, he took it out there, took it to a hot rod show that, I wish I could remember the name, but it's like the biggest hot rod show out there. I think Alabama's considered east. I, uh, I'm not really sure. Southeast, yeah. Uh, and literally, they'll have like 2,500 cars into the show. It's huge. And we're talking like lots of three-figure cars in the show. And the Squareback ended up top 10, uh, which was the first time a Volkswagen had ever been in the top 10 at this show. So... Nice. That was pretty cool. He was super excited about that. Um, but anyway, he bought that. And uh, then I, where did I build next? Uh, that, basically, that got the ball rolling. I was like, okay, I can do it again, but I don't want to put that kind of time and money into something like a 69 square back. I, I'm going to need to you know, build something a little rarer. And, of course, split window is what sure. we all go through. So, yeah. On to the next question, because I know you got one about the splits. Yeah, well, t well, talk to me about the story of the split window. So the next build was the mustard-colored split. Uh, it was a 52 Deluxe crutch cooler, obviously. Um, I found it. Actually, Blinker hooked me up with that. He, um, he knew about this guy that had this car in the garage, for years and never got around to building it, but he had been kind of collecting a bunch of NOS parts for it. Uh, so I went and looked at it. I want to say I paid 15 grand for it, but it had literally had holes this big in it. Like oh. it was, it was kind of thrashed, but it was matching numbers. So um, I dragged it home and started working on that and just kind of had a vision for it. Like I wanted to do some kind of brown. Uh, I knew I wanted to do Urcos, like I love Urco wheels. I love yeah. that. 
AR. I just love that kind of drag race look. I thought, okay, this is this is what I'm gonna I'm gonna build this car to be my ultimate Carlsbad Raceway car if it was still open, which it's not anymore. But like this would be what I would build if I was gonna do that again. So um, so yeah, I, I, again I went to Home Depot, found that mustard color, and that's probably the car I get asked the most on Instagram is what color is it? Everyone wants to know what the color is. And, and I say, yeah, sorry, buddy. You're going to have to go to home Depot. It's on the wall. Yeah. But, uh, so I did that. And I think that's what made that stand out. Um, as uh, you know, I got the black, the, the Urco Xanadized black. Um, and I think I had a 2332 in that. So it ran good. Uh, again, I did the Oxblood, uh, interior, and actually got in the, Dr. Martin's did a book all about, um, I guess people that wear Dr. Martin's people that other people should know who they are. And I ended up in that and they actually posted a picture of me with that car in, in the Dr. Martin's book. So, so that was kind of cool. So that was worth doing the interior of that color for sure. Oh, sure. I mean, listen, a, an ox blood red interior, there's a lot of colors that looks good with, and it and it has a real distinct look to it, setting off a color. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a burnt red almost. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, that was kind of my thing for a couple of cars anyway. But uh, now how I long, ended up. No, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. As I say, how how long do you end up holding on to the '52 for? <sighs> Same with the Squareback. Like it's sold immediately, and and literally, I'm building a split thinking this is my dream car i've always never thought i would own a split you know so i'll i'll die with this car and then i kind of kind of came to realize the same with the squareback as soon as i'm done building them i'm kind of bored like uh, now i want to build something else i want to one-up it or i want to you know i've got different ideas now so uh yeah i don't like i said earlier i don't drive a car on a daily basis i ride motorcycles so I kind of find cars annoying to drive because there's so many fucking stoplights and so much traffic on a motorcycle. I just zip through the middle of everyone. So I just, I, I just don't really drive them. So, uh, I ended up selling the 52 to, to Jeff again, the same guy I sold the square back to. So he, he was like, I love that color. Just name your price. I'll take it. So I was like, okay, I'll sell it. And I probably kept it once it was finished, maybe two months. And he's keeping the collection together. He's keeping the, the Hancock's yeah, collection yeah, he's together. Still, he's still got them. Yeah, he's still got them, too. Right. So you go from this 52 split window, right? Crotch cooler. You're yeah. thinking, man, this is early. And now you find a 49 after this. Yeah, yeah. So a friend of mine told me that he knew of a guy. I want to say it was Craig Hart told me. But he knew of a guy that... Um, had a 49 he was up in up towards fresno he was, so it's probably three or four hours from me had a 49 he'd had kcw build it and basically he it, it was no expense spared. he said i just do everything perfect and they ended up basically doing a, a resto on it but then also built um like a little vintage speed motor with a supercharger on it uh, and it was just a bitching car. I, I remember seeing it on KCW's site along the way. Uh, and my buddy told me that uh, it had, I think it, oh, yeah, it broke a valve spring. The guy that owned the car 
didn't really know anything about mechanicals. And so as far as he was concerned, it just didn't run. So he, uh, he ended up, do we reveal prices on this show? I guess. Can, hey, <laughs> listen, I, I'm a guy where I always ask everybody prices on. So I like to, because <laughs> some, in some circumstances, it's the dream. And so I don't think it's rude. And some people think it's rude when I ask them, like, so what'd you pay for that? What'd you give for this? But I think it's, it's good. You know, listen, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not scared. So the I like reason to the I, deal. The only reason I asked that was because I was particularly proud of how I did this. Normally, I'm like super impulsive, so I I know there's a 59, uh, sorry, 49 for sale. Um, he had spent 120 grand on having it built, so I offered him once I heard that he, you know he wanted to get rid of it. I offered him uh, 40 grand, and. He basically literally told me, fuck you, I think fire text. And he said, I want 60 for it. I said, okay, it's probably worth every penny. I appreciate the response and left it at that. Probably two months later, I get a text out of the blue, come pick this fucking thing up. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I was like, holy shit. So I literally that day rented a trailer, drove up there four hours, by the time I got there, it was 11 o'clock at night, pitch black. I couldn't even really see the thing properly. Um, but I just loaded it up on the trailer, bought it home. And, yeah, that was kind of – that was the next Air Mighty car that, that I got. Um, but in all fairness, um, KCW in Colorado built that car. That 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 really wasn't me. Uh, but it was a great – base for me to kind of just add a little touch it had bumpers um it had kind of widened steel original 16 inches when i got it um i i took those off put uh codes had a man gold put street slicks took the bumpers off uh i had luftcraft luftcraft uh, make a um, titanium steering wheel for it, basically, basically yeah. on the spoke. Um, I, was just, I was just looking at that right here, so I was put yeah, that. So, right, so I just did a couple of touches on it. It really didn't need much because this guy spent a ton of money on this car um, and just got you know built it perfectly. So. Uh, so yeah, I got I got the motor running a little better. That supercharger wasn't working great, so I ended up sending that off to get rebuilt and and did a couple of things. But uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty rad car. So um, again, I got another feature on that. Uh, but I did kind of feel that one didn't feel that, even though that's one of the cars I'm probably best known for. I didn't feel that great about it because I didn't really build it. So. Well, but I think it's, it's in music, it's in it's in uh, building cars and all that. Like, how genuine can you be? And did you rip off this song, or did someone right. else build the car? And there's always the street cred, and I've never been able to figure out like this this dedication to the street cred. Like, you know, all all you do is assemble cars or whatever. But the craziest part is any guy that's built one or bought one knows if you buy it. Your time, money, and anger way ahead of the curve. You can do yeah. some tweaks, and you may be able to get out of it what you put into it. You know, right? Right. So I've actually been really lucky with my cars. I've actually made good money on every car I've built. 
So I think because I do everything on my own, and in the case of the 49, I got it for such a smoking deal, and it was obviously a car that was worth a lot more. Um, but I've always actually made money on them. So that, that was kind of a, a thing for me. I was like, holy shit, I can do this. I, I, I literally like the mustard car, the, the square back. I spent, because I don't really work, I, I literally will spend a year, like six days a week building these cars. So whether I'm actually making money, probably not, because if I figured out what my hourly rate was, I'm probably getting paid $4 an hour. But like, I, I you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, I've never ended up losing money on a car that I built. Well, so not to mention the royalty checks that you get from Guanabats. I mean, those... Oh. <laughs> $26 last year. It was awesome. <laughs> That's where I got this T-shirt, $26. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you're, if you know, think about it. So you're just a, you're just a scrub from London who ended up in beautiful Southern California. You're yeah. living your dream. You're building cars. I mean, listen, life's not perfect, but I mean, it could be worse. And, and if you're able to do that and kind of pull that off and you play your music and, right. and you and you're able to push through and do some of the stuff you'd like to do, yeah. man. I mean, that's that's awesome. I mean, you know, one of my questions is, yeah. grow, growing up in England, like, what's the mentality of the VW, like the VW scene here? What's the thought of how the VW scene is here, or how the lifestyle is here? Like, what in your head, and how close has that come to? your life now versus like clearly when you're there, you're thinking, man, one day I'm getting to the States and I might live there. You know what I mean? What, how does that compare with like, what's the yeah. thought like? And then what's it really like? Uh, for me growing up in London, like everything I was invested in, involved in was, was U S based and specifically California based. So motocross, BMX, mountain biking, Volkswagen, everything was right here. Southern California. This is where it all came from basically. So right. For me, I always had a strong pull to, to come out here. Um, I remember, it, you know, in England, we would obviously get hot VWs and VW trends, and, and that's where the cars were, the, you know, were the top-of-the-line cars, were the magazine feature cars. It was, it's kind of a different, a little different scene, and, I, you know, I know you've been over to Europe a bunch of times and gone to some but it's a little more earthy it's a little more like party atmosphere um kind of a lot of drinking going on just and everyone just really has a good time it's kind of part it really is a big party um over here i was kind of surprised when i did move here <clears throat> because i assumed it would be the same uh i you know by 12 o'clock everyone's leaving and going home you know it's like where's where's the band where's like where's the party you know in england like or in europe you know when i i saw you out there at um at uh in belgium you know it's like partying for days you know and it's just it's a different feel but it is a um, whole different world car shows there like i try to explain to people like i said when you go to vw show like when you go to buggin it's like Lollapalooza with cars right right it's like a festival yeah. type atmosphere and and i think you know the u.s is disserved by not having that Sure. Um, but, but I don't know. I think, you know, with, with the right combination, I think it's gotta be the right location and the right venue. 
I think yeah. he could pull it off. No, you know, you, you know, you and I've talked about it before and uh, it's just, it's got to come together just right. But uh, right. Right. I, I was amazed when I went there, I was just, I was just blown away. I went, I went to Volkswagen 14. I'm walking around Sandown park over there. Is that, is that, was it called Sandown park, the racetrack? Yeah. I, I, I grew up probably six miles from there. So well, yeah, I, that's exactly I, where I, yeah, I stayed at the squirrel. You know, where the squirrel hotel. Yeah. Is? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you get a duck yeah. to get in the door because the door's like five foot six. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah people were smaller back then. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the impression that I like, I was trying to explain to somebody going to Volksworld, and I'm like, man, I, I can't explain it to you. Like, you go around one corner, and it's like, you know, all, there's like a dude on a set of drums and a DJ next to him, and he's just going off, and like, there's this whole different section of the car show. Then inside, they have the swap meet, and then on the other side, they've got a half pipe with a skateboard demo. And all. I'm like, it's just yeah. stuff going off everywhere, man. And I, and and. Yeah. Ever since I've been there, I keep thinking, man, would I love to see a show like that take place here? Oh, yeah, in yeah and, and sure. And that, obviously, Eurobugging has kind of come up since Volkswagen and been super successful. You go there, it's just days of partying, and just everyone's in such a good mood. It's such a good atmosphere. Everyone camps there. I, I don't know if you could pull that off here. You know, I. I really don't know if people would would invest their time into that. You know, it's it's a. Di- I think over there maybe it's a younger crowd too. You know, over here everyone has their kids already, has their businesses that they got to get back to, and um, it seems like there people. You know, and in England you get like six weeks paid vacation every year, so you can literally take a week off to go to Belgium. I mean, that would be tough to do here, you know. Yeah, uh, but I also think maybe maybe the difference is here, there's such an overabundance of events that yeah. it, it almost waters it down. And over there, everybody, everybody kind of saves up to go to that one big event, whether it's going to be, I mean, you look at like even the Europe, European bug and that's every two years. That's in the opposite yeah. year of, you know, so, so they kind of build, they have a buildup, which is why I think they can last for so many days out there. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it is definitely a different culture. And, and I've really, I really loved it when I went out there. I mean, I, I was blown away just seeing just, I, I came back and I said, you know what, guys? We got it pretty good because all those guys wish they were here, and they all—they all, yeah. they all yeah. buy vans, they all buy Levi's, they all—they all, they all right. wish they were here, and we take it for granted. You know what I mean? For sure, yeah, yeah. We always saw this as the place to be. I think, uh, at least back then, I think the tables have turned a little bit now. There's some really cool cars being built in Europe, obviously. So we were talking about you were talking about earlier about how the culture itself is different and and with the advent of Instagram and all these things, the bar's been raised and I think you know the, I think that's a good thing with social media, right? You can be across the pond and you're not like waiting for things. You're getting that instant access to see what's right. going on in, in different scenes, which pushes the hobby. I mean, I think all these mega cars that people get pretty bitter about and stuff like that, that say, oh, you know, must be nice to have money or whatever the case is, which a lot, a lot, some of these cars are built with blood, sweat, and tears. But I think that level of build has pushed the VW hobby into a level of respectability that, that wasn't there a long time ago, you know? Right, right. Yeah, there's, there's some... Uh... There's some amazing stuff going on in in England for sure, and I'm sure the rest of Europe. You know that uh, Creamer guy, Leiden or Linden Creamer, one of our one of our club guys, like insane levels. You know, which which I I think it probably 
best in the world type stuff, you know. So um, now I, th I think it's uh, I think it's definitely spread evenly. There's just as many great cars uh, out there, and I think the the shows for me are better out there for sure. Unfortunately, guys, I had some technical difficulties with the end of the podcast, so. Uh, make sure you guys go download some Guana Bats off Apple iTunes. Go check Pip out at Pip uh, Hancock's on Instagram. You know, support our brother in the VW scene. Uh, promise to get him back on here and round out the balance of that podcast. It was definitely some good talk, and he's a great guy, and I'm looking forward to some new vehicles he's getting out there. Until next week, guys. Later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have a